Hello ninjas and ninjas, and welcome to another episode of the Exposure Ninja Digital Marketing Podcast. This show is all about helping you generate more leads and sales through your website, grow your business online. My name is Tim Cameron Kitchen. I'm the UK's best-selling digital marketing author, and I'm head ninja at Exposure Ninja, which is a marketing agency based in the UK. In this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Mark Hughes from Tutora. No, not the famous Welsh footballer. Mark runs Tutora, and Tutora is a platform for connecting students with tutors. So whether it's you know academic tutors for school or uni, or whether it's like music tutors. They've been on such an amazing journey over the last two and a half years since the company was formed. They've raised a huge amount of money, but not through you know traditional investment, but through crowdfunding. And Mark's going to tell us about that and what stages they decided to raise that money, which is really important. But the reason, I, the main reason I wanted to get Mark on this show is because he's built one of these chicken and egg businesses. And if you've ever tried to build a directory or you're running a directory type of business now, you'll appreciate the challenge. With a chicken and egg business, you've got two types of customer. You've got the inventory. So in Mark's case, he needs the tutors to come onto his website. And then he's got the end user, which is the students. So he needs the tutors in order to attract the students. But in order to get the tutors signed up, he really needs some students there requesting their services. So it's really fascinating to hear how he's built this so quickly. And the number of tutors they've got is ridiculous. The number of lessons that they have going on each week is insane. So very quick growth in what is actually a reasonably crowded market. There are a number of established competitors doing this as well. So fascinating insight into how Mark and the team have done this. He talks us through their pay-per-click strategy, their SEO strategy, how they're using Facebook and remarketing. Gives us a really good kind of behind the scenes look on, on what they're doing. And they've got some amazing plans coming up in the future as well. It's such a sick business. And while I've got you here, I also want to take some time to mention the free website and marketing review service that we offer. So if you're generating leads or sales to your website, or you're not generating as many leads or sales as you'd like, and you want some advice on how to improve the results that you're getting, then we offer a service where one of our marketing strategists will take a look at your website, your digital marketing, they'll also have a look at what your competitors are doing to generate their business. And they'll put all of this information into a prioritized action plan that you can follow to increase the results that you're getting online. Now this service is completely free, comes with absolutely no obligation, and you'll get a 20 minute recorded video showing you how to do this stuff for your business. And then you can then take that to a marketing company, you can do it yourself, or if you want some help from us, then you can ask us for help as well. As I say, the service is completely free and to claim it, you go to exposureninja.com forward slash review. That's exposureninja.com forward slash review. Anyway, without further ado, enjoy the show and here's Mark. So Mark, welcome to the show. Hi, um, thanks for having me. For people who don't know Tutora, Perhaps you could give a bit of an introduction as to what the business is about and what your business model is. We're a marketplace for finding a private tutor. So a lot of parents look for a maths tutor or an English tutor for their son or daughter. The traditional way you've done that is you bring up an agency, pay them quite a lot of money, and they will send them around to your house. The internet's kind of changed the way that people expect services to be delivered. So people you know, know if they're looking for a hotel, they don't go to a travel agency, they look it up themselves, uh, they read reviews, and they, they make the booking themselves. And so that's exactly what the same concept that we've applied to the tuition industry. So parents can go onto the site, they can find a tutor, they'll, they'll come around to their house, and we sort of handle all the payments for them. So, so no cash has to change hands. 
it's, it's gone pretty well. We started a couple of years ago. We've now got 10,000 tutors across the UK and they're doing about 5,000 lessons per week in things ranging from maths, English and science through to Spanish, French. We've got a lot of people doing guitar and piano as well and pretty much across the whole of the UK as well. So obviously a big focus in the cities, London being the biggest, but pretty much wherever you are, you'll be able to find a, a tutor. Awesome. That's incredible growth. So we'll drill into that in just a minute. But how do you guys make your money? We, we charge a commission basically on, on every lesson that takes place. So when the parent pays, they normally pay by a debit or credit card. We basically take a small slice of that for ourselves and we pass the rest on to the tutor. So there's no sort of fees for tutors for signing up, which was um, one of the things that we sort of took to the market that was relatively new. Uh, and there's no fee for parents to sort of you know, get in touch with the tutor, which again was something that was fairly standard sort of matching fees. It's basically a sort of pay-as-you-go model. So you only pay after the lesson has taken place and we only make money if you've actually had lessons. So there are other players in this market on there, I know, because my wife's a tutor and she uses one of your, I guess, competitors. But in the two years that you've been around, you've expanded so, so quickly. You've had crowdfunding, haven't you? And that's kind of helped you to do that. So maybe you could talk to us a bit about how that's enabled you to get such rapid growth. Yeah, so it's been a, it's been a bit of a whirlwind, to be honest. Um, so I guess the one thing, one thing that we've done that's different from the guys who were there before is, is that sort of pay-as-you-go model. So the existing way of doing things was very much uh, a big database of tutors that you could search. And if you liked the look of one, you would pay £20 to get their telephone number. And then it was over to you. So for parents, you know, there's a bit of a gamble there. First of all, no one really likes paying for things up front, and especially not if you're not even guaranteed to have a lesson. So you're literally paying for someone's telephone number. So one of the ways which we were able to grow really quickly was, you know, you can just get in touch with as many tutors as you want and you don't pay anything until after the lesson's taken place. So, which is what, how most people expect things to be delivered these days. You know, people are used to the idea of paying for things to be delivered. <laughs> so I guess that's one way. We did use um, crowdfunding twice. So we used a company called Crowdtube. But we actually, we had a reasonable amount of traction before we did that. So we didn't go to them with an idea. Um, we all had an idea. We were all gen- generating a reasonable amount of revenue. What we used that money for was to step on the accelerator, basically. So I think at the time we were doing our first raise, we had about 2,000 tutors. We raised £150,000. That would have been a year and a half ago. And then about six months ago, we raised £700,000 uh, in, in, in a bigger raise, basically. So it's an interesting situation. We've actually got 500 shareholders <laughs> but I guess they're all diluted that you can kind of ignore any of them individually, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's the theory. <laughs> um, so yeah, we, we actually, um, one, one of the nice things about that is that a lot of them are our users. So we, we sort of put out the word to our tutor base, which I think at the time would have been about 6,000 people. A couple of hundred of those ended up investing, um, some of them sort of relatively small amounts of money, you know, 10 pounds, 20 pounds. Quite a few of them put in, you know, a thousand pounds and up. So one of the nice things is that sort of our investors are also our users and our sort of harshest critics. <laughs> you do get a lot of sort of really positive feedback. That's not just, you know, I want this, I want that. It's, you know, people who have got a real genuine interest in helping Tutorial succeed both as a user and as an investor. So that's one of the nice things about it. I want to ask you about marketing now, because aside from being the digital marketing podcast, your business is one of those chicken and egg businesses, isn't it? Where you need an inventory of tutors in order to get the customers, the students, and you kind of need one before you get the other, but you need one in order to attract the other as well. So 
how did, which side of the equation did you approach first? Did you go after the tutors, the inventory, or did you go after the students, the end users? We, we did go after the tutors first, because I guess you need a, a base of tutors, you know, even if it's a really small base, you need something to offer initially. What we, what we kind of, the way that we solved it was, well, I guess there's two components. One was just really hard work. Like there's no other way of doing it. You've just got to get out there and, you know, make the marketplace work to start off with. Uh, so that involves, you know, you stepping in and making it work in some cases. So um, we used to spend a lot of time, you know, in the early days on the phone, ringing up students who had got in touch. Um, you know, if we couldn't find them a tutor, we would literally go and recruit that tutor, browsing through Gumtree or websites and build it up sort of really, really from low levels just gradually. The other way that we did it was try and divide the marketplace into the smallest components that we could. So for us, that was by geography. So we started out in Sheffield and we stayed there for quite a reasonable amount of time. And suddenly, like, you know, now we've got 10,000 tutors, but to do maths, English and science in Sheffield, well, you know, we only really needed about 50 tutors to, to get reasonable coverage. So what was sort of initially a really daunting task actually worked if you sort of broke it down enough and did it on a sort of micro level. Then once you've got that process honed, it's really about sort of rinse and repeat. So you know, once we got up to a reasonable level in Sheffield, we, we, we launched in Manchester and Leeds. Um, then we sort of turned on you know, three or four other cities. About sort of six months to, to, to nine months later, we took a look at London and just basically took it one, one city at a time. I, I really like that, that kind of down and dirty approach that you mentioned. When you had a student who couldn't find a tutor, you'd, you'd go out and actively find that tutor for them. At what point did you stop having to do that? Was there a tipping point that you noticed, I guess, first with Sheffield, where you didn't have to go out and find people anymore and the thing started to sustain and tutors would start to come on more automatically, I guess? Yeah, there definitely was a tipping point, which was basically that me and Scott were spending our whole lives on the phone. So uh, we were using our personal <laughs> phones and they would just, you know, ring at sort of nine or 10 at night someone would be like my tutor hasn't turned up or you know i don't like them can you find me someone else so part of it was right okay this is not sustainable <laughs> but the sort of whole time we were a building up our tutor base and, and student base but also sort of figuring out what is it that we're doing that can be done by the site so one of the things was someone would get in touch with a tutor and it turned out that tutor was no longer tutoring what do we do so what we were doing is bringing them up and trying to find them another tutor. What that turned into was a job board. So when someone says they can't help, that tuition request is automatically placed with a job board and other tutors can get in touch. So gradually we sort of built in loads and loads of these little sort of improvements to the website that meant actually we were sort of putting ourselves out of a job in some ways and just building out the site so that it could function on its own. Because initially, you know, the site just wasn't good enough. It wasn't good enough that even if we had the tutors and students that they would be able to match each other it's just a messaging platform it's only sort of after lots and lots of incremental improvements and sort of trial and error that we managed to figure out a system that could make that matching process work on its own so that that's how you found the tutors you, you mentioned that you got, had students coming in and they were re- making requests that weren't being met so how how were you getting these students in what sort of channels were you using again sort of going back to the early days um we used to stand in a park and hand out flyers. And that was probably how we got our first 10 to 20 people on board. Again, not exactly scalable, but it sort of helped prove the concept. We, we then got into leaflet delivery. So me and Scott delivered maybe 10,000 leaflets around Sheffield. That was kind of like our second attempt. And that probably got another 10 to 20 people. 
again, like not gonna, <laughs> that's not on the basis on which the sort of sustainable big company is built. We sort of figured out that, you know, where basically we used to try to figure out what, where, if I was a student or, or a parent, where would I go? And the answer is essentially Google for a lot of people. So I think the sort of key to us growing quickly was cracking first sort of paid marketing on, on Google and then organic marketing on Google as well. Cool. And, and we'll dig into both of those in, in a bit. But just kind of fast forwarding to today, obviously, now you're not having to do the flyers and the cold calling, I hope. So what's the marketing team set up at Tutora currently? Sure. So we've got four full-time people on marketing. That's kind of split between people doing PPC, mainly on, on Google, uh, but we also do a fair bit on Facebook um, and on the display network as well. And the organic search team, which is mainly about producing content, trying to get exposure to that content, look at SEO strategy and make sure that we're doing all the right things there so that Google sort of recognizes us as you know, a, a really valuable resource for, for parents. We've tried to stay as sort of narrow and focused on that as, as, as we can. There's so many different little marketing channels that we could do, but you know, we've only got so many resources. Our strategy is basically going by, let's do the things that we, we think are going to make the biggest impact, do them really, really well. So I guess that's sort of our, our current setup. And, and uh, yeah, it sounds completely logical, doesn't it? Because this is a needs-based search. If I need a tutor, then you're completely right. Where do I go? I go to Google. Yes, I might go to Facebook and I might see that there's a tutor out there and it might kind of spark something in me. But this is very much a, 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 an itch that needs to be scratched type of business, I'd imagine. So it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's definitely the case for sort of new users. Obviously, the, the real sort of magic era well i guess what we hope will be the magic happens after that once you've once you've got someone how do you keep them so that next time they think right i need a tutor for my uh, other son or daughter or you know a levels instead of gccs that they come to us because they had a great experience last time so that's when you get into things like email marketing or uh, retargeting and those sorts of things but the best form of marketing is you know if you do a really good job last time then you haven't got to keep acquiring ever increasing numbers of people to have your, have your business grow. For sure. For sure. Okay. So talking about SEO a bit then, big picture, what's what's your strategy with SEO? There are so many different angles that you could go, particularly as you've got different topics, you've got different locations. This this could be absolutely huge. Where, where do you see the big picture overview of your SEO strategy? Yeah. So you're exactly right. It could go in so many different directions. I guess we're in a reasonably fortunate position in that we've actually got loads of user-generated content, which is our tutor profiles. Basically, what happens is tutors sign up to the site and they write a bit about themselves. So, you know, I'm a maths tutor um, specializing in GCSE and A-level chemistry, for instance. Um, You know, uh, I went to this university. It's it's original content. It's not anywhere else. Um, And we try to use that as much as possible. So, you know, if I'm uh, thinking from a sort of parent's point of view, if I'm looking for uh, a math tutor, what I'm probably going to, in my, my ideal world, what I want is a list of really good tutors that, that I can choose from. Um, and that's exactly what we give them. And that's what we give the search engine as well. So you know, if I'm looking for a math tutor in Sheffield, let's come up with the best possible list of math tutors in Sheffield. That will engage users. Google likes it because it's unique, it's engaging, it keeps them on the site. Um, and hopefully they're not going to go back and you know, try a different website because they've managed to find what they're looking for on our site. So a lot of it is making full use of sort of our own content and um, and then structuring that in a way that is as relevant to search queries as it could possibly be. That's awesome. So the user-generated content, I guess a bit like Amazon, you don't see Amazon writing 
too much because it's all written by the merchants or you know the the original seller and then all you have to do is basically present that content in a way that's really useful to people and then there is your content strategy yeah exactly i mean so one of one of the things we sort of struggle with is that a lot of the um, seo advice out there is really for sort of very what i would call like original content driven strategies you know people writing blogs who want to write on a topic and generate traffic to essentially what is you know a, almost like a piece of journalism or a thought piece or something like that for commercial things you know that's not what people want you know when if i'm trying selling a washing machine i don't want to read like a guide to washing machine probably what i want is a big selection of washing machines with some really good trust indicators on it some you know price comparison tool maybe on there a way to sort of narrow down my search it's not really content in the original sense but that's what users want and, and google's smart enough to figure out well you know if they stay on the page and you know they, they don't come back for another search, then that's probably the page I should be displaying. And I guess that's exactly what Amazon's done. It's what we're trying to do as well. Yeah. So looking at user metrics and how can you improve the usability signals to, to Google and not just focus on giving them a Wikipedia-style wall of text. Yeah, because the, the other reason for not doing that is that it doesn't scale particularly well. So for us, we've got tens of thousands of pages on the site. You know, an army of copywriters couldn't write any content for you know, physics tutor, bath, chemistry tutor, bath. So it doesn't scale particularly well. And ultimately, I don't think it's what people want to read anyway. You know. For sure. Did, did you give much guidance to the tutors when they're filling in their profiles to help them make that content as useful and as optimized as possible? Or do you, or do you just kind of leave it to them? Yeah, so we don't do anything on the optimization point, but we definitely give them a lot of guidance. So um, when when they fill it in it originally, we tell them what to include, you know, talk a little bit about yourself, um, what subject you studied, um, what's your tuition experience. Nothing goes onto the site either without being reviewed by a person. So everything basically has to be approved, which means that, you know, you make sure that the content reads really well. You can't get away with writing a, a 50 word bio. You've got to write at least 150 words. So there is a sort of a high quality threshold, which means that everybody's bio should read really, really well. Um, you know, their education history should read well and make sense. And I, I do think that probably makes a difference as well. Yeah, for sure. That's a great model to, to use for this kind of platform optimization. And then things like page titles and meta descriptions, are those automatically generated based on the content that, that these guys have put in and the categories that they've chosen for, for their tutoring? Yeah, so that, that's where, it, where things, I guess, get um, probably a little bit more into sort of realms of normal SEO. So we, we have tens of thousands of these tutor pages, but what really drives a lot of our traffic is, I guess, the category pages. So you know, if someone searches for math tutors, we don't want them to see you know, a single math tutor profile. We want them to see um, the math tutor page. That tends to be where we do the most optimization around, you know, what, what should the title be for, you know, someone who's typed in a search query for Maths Tutor in Manchester. Well, you know, quite a lot of that is reasonably obvious. You know, we should probably have the word Maths Tutor and Manchester in it. Uh, just making sure that, you know, that ties up with what the user is actually looking for. For sure. For sure. That's awesome. Okay. And I, I want to ask you about pay-per-click now as well, because obviously pay-per-click, very scalable and, and you guys are using it. A lot, a lot, aren't you? But you've got to be careful because I guess the danger is, particularly when you've got so many locations, so many different types of, of tutoring, and then so many different potential like age groups. You've got this massive, massive thing. And if there's a little bit of waste in all of these areas, then it starts to get quite costly. So 
like how do you even begin to approach this thing? Yeah, so I, don't, I, don't, I definitely don't think we've got it nailed. So I'm, I'm sure there are things that we're wasting money on today. Because <laughs> um, uh, as you say, it's just such a complicated beast, especially in a sort of a two-sided marketplace where you've got to make sure that the supply is there. That supply is constantly changing. So um, from week to week, the number of maths tutors in Manchester will vary. Um, and in some smaller locations, it goes from, you know, there might be three tutors, um, but the next week there could be one. And suddenly, you know, that becomes an unprofitable thing to, to be sort of advertising on. So yeah, and then the, the only answer really is um, try and be as granular as you can and put in the hours and the effort into making sure it all that, that, that you've got all those things in place. The one thing which everybody should should do is just make sure that conversion tracking is set up really well, and that it what you're measuring is actually what you care about. So for us, um, that means making sure that you know if someone gets in touch with a tutor, that's a conversion. And we're assigning the correct value to that. Uh, and one way that makes a difference is, uh, you know, tutors in London are more expensive, for instance. So there is an increased value to someone getting in touch for a tutor from London, and that feeds back into the amount we're prepared to sort of pay for that term. Um, you know, having really accurate conversion tracking is the thing that, that that allows you to do all the other clever stuff. Really, the simple, I guess, lazy approach would be to show an ad that says something like if someone types in mass tutor anywhere in the UK, it says find mass tutors in your area, and then dumps them to a search page where they put their location in. Did you ever try that? Is there a reason that you've gone for the ultra hardcore, super granular location specific stuff? Yeah, I mean, we did try it. And it, it, it works just just not as well. <laughs> so I mean, one, one of the sort of eye opening things for me was, um, I and I, I try to do it as much as possible. It's just download like the actual queries that people are searching for. And it is incredibly varied. And then think, like, would I click on, have I got an advert that targets that query reasonably well? And would I click on it? And is that the type of traffic we're after? And I think that's just a useful exercise. And it's sort of no matter how big your campaign is, is taking a look at what people are searching for, what you're actually paying for. Am I reasonably optimized around that? So for instance, you know, if someone's typed in Massachusetts Manchester, I'm almost certainly more likely to click on something that has the word Manchester in the title as opposed to a generic maths tutor or even just a generic you know, fine tutors here kind of advert. And yet the difference will probably be reasonably small, but over time those differences add up and um, that can make the difference between something that's you know marginally profitable and something that's going to be very profitable. For sure, particularly if you're going up against competitors with a similar strategy and maybe a similar revenue per lead or whatever. So yeah, so all about squeezing out as much as you can, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, Google's in a fantastic position because it's, um, it's a marketplace. Um, you know, people are bidding and people will bid as much as they feel they can. So if you've got no edge over your competitors, then both being in a bidding war against each other and ultimately Google's going to be the only winner there. Uh, so it's important to think, like, what am I doing over and above my competitors? Either you know, my site converts better or you know, I've got more granular ads or they're better targeted or, you know, whatever it might be. But you've got to have a reason for thinking, I'm going to be um, able to bid on this more possibly than someone else. That's how you sort of achieve dominance in it in search marketing, I guess. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Um, branded search. I want to ask you about branded search because we spoke about this in the in the pre-call and, and you're saying you do you do pay for the for the branded search term. So what's your 
what's your kind of angle and, and what's your reason for, for going for branded search traffic? Yeah, so um, again, this is something that I, I really don't enjoy doing, sort of um, bidding on branded search, <laughs> like paying for your own traffic. But I, I do think it's, it's, it's a really worthwhile thing to, to take a look at, at least. I guess the first thing to think is, is anyone else paying for it? And that was kind of the trigger for us. It's that, you know, we reached a certain size, um, a savvy competitors out there and you know, when we typed in tutorial, we weren't the top result anymore. And we do that on other people's now, and we know that it works. So if it's working for us, then it's working for them and they're stealing our traffic. So I guess that's the sort of um, the number one. The sort of second stage is to say, right, okay, is it worth it? And to do that, I think you've just got to get dirty with the maths, to be honest. Um, so uh, a lot of people say, well, you know, they've clicked on your ad, uh, but would they have just come through to the organic result? And what we did is we said, well, let's measure it. And we noticed that before a certain percentage of people clicking on our organic result, and afterwards, um, if you added the two together, then more people were clicking. So there was a traffic uplift versus not doing it. And actually, sort of once we backed out the maths, we realized it was actually a really low cost thing for us to do. Yes, it's an additional expense, but you know it should be compared against every other channel that you've got um, rather than something um, in isolation. That's so true. So you, ha- you actually had the statistical evidence that said that your branded paid traffic was not necessarily cannibalizing organic traffic and you were getting an uplift. I think there's also respect for the, for the attitude where we've got to measure this against, you know, a conversion from any channel. Like if we're making money on it, then we should be making money on it and we should be doing it. So you've got to kind of take out your ego, I guess, there, haven't you? And just say, right, Google is the ultimate winner. Let's all bow down to Google and here's some money for my own branded domain. Yeah, exactly. And the other thing is like, even if we haven't got the tools to, if you take a look around at some of the major brands, they all do it as well. They've run the maths. And if they think it's a good thing, then part of me just says, well, you know, <laughs> they're probably right, to be honest. I don't know. I've, I've, seen, I've seen both things. I think the key, like you said, is have a look and see what's showing for your, for, for your brand name. And if your competitors are bidding against it, then you have to be in that war. If you don't, and you've got like an expanded organic listing, then I think it becomes a little tricky. I think we saw recently Amazon stopped doing it. I think they're back to doing it again now. But I don't know. I think sometimes also it's the uh, it's the pay-per-click agency wanting to show increased conversions for their work. I'm sure that's, uh, I'm sure that's <laughs> part of it as well, yeah. So you guys are using remarketing and, and retargeting as well, aren't you? And you mentioned it earlier as part of a kind of follow-up strategy for people who might have another son or daughter who wants to do tutoring. Do you also remarket to people who haven't converted yet in order to get them back onto the site? What's your what's your angle with remarketing? Yeah, remarketing I think is something that every everybody should take a look at because because it works essentially. So um, <laughs> you, you're essentially got the perfect audience. Um, you've got people who were interested in the product you're selling and interested in you as a seller because they visited your site before. And if you've got your tracking set up well, then you can figure out what product on your site they were actually interested in and rejig their memory. It's relatively easy to set up as well. I guess the other thing is what we realized was measurement's a little bit tricky, but it probably under-reports how good it is. So um, if you're like me, you know, you sort of see adverts, you don't end up clicking on them, but it's jogged your memory and maybe later that night you'll, you'll be on the internet and type in that brand and, and sort of go direct. So what we realized was, you know, when we ran some tests, that uh, it converted absolutely fine from sort of people clicking on the ads um, on Facebook or on Google remarketing and came through to the website. But there's probably an equally large number of people who, you know, basically increases the brand recognition for them, rejogs their memory, and, you know, that they probably end up showing up in our branded search that we did, that we're doing. Um, 
as well. So um, I think it's definitely something that everybody should take a look at at the, at the very least. Yeah, and I guess I guess Google shows the kind of view through conversions, which always which always gives a bit of an indication that actually remarketing is going to be way more powerful than just looking straight at conversions with. Facebook retargeting doesn't really have anything like that, to my knowledge, where it shows kind of impact to what's going on even further, you know, down the funnel later on in time. Yeah, I think they've been doing a little bit of work on that now. So you can get sort of, you know, one day um, sort of view through conversions uh, measured. Um, I'm always slightly skeptical of believing the numbers exactly because I guess a lot of people might view an ad but have come to the website anyway. So for instance, with us, a lot of people get in touch with a tutor. They, that tutor turns around and says, sorry, I can't help. They then come back to the site, get in touch with another tutor of their own accord. A lot of those end up showing as view through conversions for Facebook, whereas they'd have come back anyway. I know it's slightly contradictory what I was saying earlier about view through being quite a, probably being quite a big component, but it's definitely worth doing your own thinking and hopefully trying to come up with your own figures on do you think it's uh, what do you think the impact is there's definitely a bit of art versus science to it yeah for sure and I, like you say about the the brand awareness you can't you can't really put a price on that because you can't really accurately identify what it is worth but you know you're not paying for the brand awareness are you? you're only paying for the click so if they see your ad 50 times and they and they only click on it once you're only paying for that one click you're not paying for the 50 so I mean, for us, it's something that we build into pretty much every pay-per-click campaign that we run because it makes all of the other kind of top of funnel stuff more profitable. So I think it's certainly a no-brainer. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. You've been through a massive journey over the last, what, two and a half years. Looking back on everything, if you had to do it all again, what would you do differently? Oh, gosh. <laughs> um, <laughs> Absolutely uh, nothing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's... There's definitely things I'd have done differently in retrospect. I don't know if I'd have made a different decision at the time. So, for instance, just off the top of my head, one of the annoying things is we moved office three times in the last two years, simply because we were sort of always underprepared for, I guess, our growth in users and staff. <laughs> um, so, one of the things would be, you know, you know, planning is really, really helpful. We've we've probably been too cautious in terms of hiring. So. We, we, we've always tried to make sure that we could get to um, our profitability pretty quickly if we needed to. Not really trusted that the, the fact that business was growing, uh, the fact that we had a good product. So, and we could have definitely invested much more heavily than we have done in sort of you know taking taking a, a bit of a bit of a gamble. Um, but in retrospect, you know it had been a really good gamble to make. Uh, a bit of a gamble in, in terms of hiring developers, in terms of investing in the product. Um, uh, investing in um, acquiring users to a greater extent than we have. But I guess for every, for every one of us, thought equally be someone who's, you know, um, there's a lot to be said for sort of, you know, taking things a little bit more cautiously and making sure that things are going to work before, you know, throwing loads and loads of money behind it. There seems to be, I don't know, from talking to you, there seems to be such a strong belief, like the fact that you guys are willing to stand in a park, handing out flyers and to cold call people. Those are the things that I think very few startup owners are, are willing to do so I, I would say that that would tell me that you guys are, are kind of destined to do well and that you'd be happy to kind of back and, and push and take more risks do you, do you feel that do you have a look at other startup owners and think do you know what i'm not sure they've got the the balls or the the kind of guts to do this as much as we do or is this just completely natural to you <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's interesting having a look around. Um, I think one of the, I guess I read that slightly differently. That was out of necessity. So we didn't have any money to start off with. It was all off our own back, essentially. Um, so 
we, we didn't have an alternative to, to sort of standing on the street corner because you didn't have an AdWords budget or, you know, um, any marketing spend to go behind it. Um, we, we didn't have an, an office. We were working out of a bedroom, which I guess is different to a lot of startups who are, you know, basically come up with an idea, given a pot of money and told to go and do it. And I think one of the advantages of essentially bootstrapping was that you're forced to figure out what works and what doesn't manually. You haven't got the luxury of sort of just throwing money at the problem. We basically threw money at the problem once we had got past that stage, um, once we sort of validated our core assumptions or you know, tweaked the model to make sure it works. So I guess that, that, that's been one of the fortunate things that, you know, looking back was really hard work, but actually probably made a real difference. Yeah, that's, that's a really interesting distinction. How about on the other side of it? Were there any moments where you kind of knew for certain, right, great, this is going to work? Like, what were the game-changing level ups that you, that you've been through in the last couple of years? <laughs> Launching in London was really, really sort of game-changing. I guess um, it's, it's, it's something like a third to a half of the UK tuition market. So I think. 40% of kids in London have had tuition at some point. It's, it's really sort of mind-boggling numbers. And we were sort of, there were, there were a couple of reasonably big, compared to us at that stage, reasonably big companies operating in London, you know, dozens of staff. And so we were always sort of on the fringes, you know, we have got a few tutors in Sheffield and Manchester and Birmingham, but really the game was in London. Um, I guess the game changer for us was, I guess not launching there, but, you know, once we sort of saw the bookings pick up and the pace that they were picking up there, you know, within couple of months it was a third of our business which was brilliant to see that it worked somewhere like that and I suppose that's been the the, the thing that's that's probably the single thing that I've, I can point to that says why you know that was a real sort of, wow you know it's actually working kind of thing that's awesome that must have been any any high five moments do you go out for a drink when you saw that sort of growth yeah do you know it's it's more it's it, it always feels much much slower when you're actually in it <laughs> so you know I guess we've probably growing like 20% per month every month over the last two years. But it never really feels like that, that you know, we're like sort of down the hatches, you know, we've got to pull all nighters um, because, you know, per day it's a yeah, percent, you know, it's just a sort of incremental improvement. So it's like the frog, um, you know, in, in cold water, if you turn up the temperature, um, the boiling, even though the course of a couple of minutes, it doesn't notice. <laughs> so I guess we haven't actually had many of those moments. The one would be um, sort of in September. So it's a very cyclical business uh, and we uh last last august was pretty slow and we were feeling a little bit like you know oh, it's, it's turning into a bit of a slog and then business basically tripled come september when the kids went back to school which was a, a lovely feeling um sort of watching the numbers just sort of go up as you know parents were booking in sort of a year-long tuition um it was yeah great to see oh that's sick i guess before you've been in it too long and you can start to see the patterns of seasonality you don't know and you think oh shit business has just taken a dive whereas this is just something that's gonna happen yeah now it's much more mundane so we're back in september we've got you know the phone lines are running non-stop you know the website traffic's through the roof but it's now we expect it (laughs) so um yeah we were kind of like do you know what? The percentage increase wasn't quite as big as last year. It's almost like <laughs> disappointing. So I guess it's that's the lesson in sort of how quickly you adjust to your circumstances. Um, but yeah, it's, it's always worthwhile sort of taking a step back and thinking, you know, the bigger picture has been amazing. Um, and what's next for Tutora? The, the next big initiative that we've got is online tutoring. So um, we're actually due to launch it next week. So uh, I guess like we've seen in sort of other industries, um, this is the massive advantage to doing things online rather than in person. Uh, for tutors, they haven't got to travel to someone's house. Um, you've got all the resources there at your fingertips. Uh, you can record lessons and pay them back later. 
there's endless sort of advantages to it. So we're going to be launching an online tutoring platform next week. Initially, it's going to be you know relatively low key. We're going to sort of plan out the, the improvements, but we're, we're hoping that in the next couple of years, it's going to become a really big part of the business, and it should be a game changing experience for a lot of tutors uh, and students as well. Um, uh, the ability to sort of have two way video interact on a whiteboard. Yeah, I think it's going to be a real hit. Man, that is freaking killer. I've been going at my wife for so long to get this thing built and I'm so pumped that you guys are going to do it. That is going to be amazing. Especially with India coming online, right? This is a this is literally a game changer. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, a couple of years down the line, you can just sort of imagine the possibilities with, you know, teaching five people at once. They can be in a different country. Yeah, there's all sorts of things going on. Dude, it's going to be sick. Any time of day, 24 hours, oh, just killer, killer. That's, that's Love it. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, where can people find out more about you and follow Tutora as you expand to uh, India and beyond? <laughs> um, so yeah, definitely check out our sort of Facebook. That's where we tend to post sort of all the all the updates and all the bits of news. We've got a website, <laughs> tutora.co.uk. So um, take a look around, see what you think. We're always keen to hear feedback as well from people. So if, if you do want to hear more, um, drop me an email. It's mark at tutora.co.uk. We'd be really keen to hear your thoughts. Good and bad. <laughs> Amazing. I think a lot of people are trying to jump in on that last round of investment, I'd imagine. Perfect. Mark, we'll link you up in show notes. But thank you so much for spending the time with us today. I really appreciate it. Thanks a lot for having me on. 